Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. It's the 10th day of the fourth month. Time is fleeting. We're 79 days from trumpets. It was 180-odd, I think, when we first came back from the feast, so we're well past halfway. In Act 2, Scene 2 of Romeo and Juliet, an exchange takes place between the two star-crossed lovers, as they're called, about the nature of the feud between their families that is keeping them apart. You'll recall some of this dialogue. Juliet says famously, O Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or, if thou wilt not, but be sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Romeo, turning to the audience, says, Shall I hear more, or shall I speak at this? Juliet continues, Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's Montague? Is it not hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part? Belonging to a man, oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That, sh- that which we call a rose, by any other name, would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes. Without that title, Romeo doth thy name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. To which Romeo replies, I take thee at thy word. Call me but love, and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. Juliet is telling Romeo that the feud is not between them. And if their names were anything but Capulet and Montague, then their future together would not be an issue. It's just the fact that his last name was Montague and her last name is Capulet. And there's a feud going centuries past or years past. That's what's keeping them apart. So what is in a name? Do you know the meaning and the origin of your name, first or last? Does anyone, just offering offering up, does anyone know the meaning of their name? Daniel, God is judge. Anyone else know the meaning of their name? Roy. Valley of the King. King of the Valley. Anyone else know? Okay. Murray is Scottish for from the sea. I prefer the Irish version. It's Lord of the Sea. (laughs) Palmatier is Dutch, and it means one whose job it is to fan the king's throne with palm fronds. Lisa is short for Elizabeth, and we know her, the name Elizabeth is Hebrew for devoted to God. And Landry means powerful land ruler. So what is in a name? Over the last while, we've been discussing our faith. We've been asked by many of our young people why we believe what we believe. Why do I believe in God? Is God real? How do I know God exists? How do I know he is real? What this means for your young people as they mature and face the decision to answer their calling and make this journey their own. And I've been asked by several people, and we've had this discussion during the after-service portion, how do I know God is real? Not just is God real and do I believe in God, but assuming you believe in God, how is it that you know he is real? Let's turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. 
And we'll read the passage that Landon read during the scripture reading. John chapter 17. This, of course, is the after the New Testament Passover service. Just before Christ is arrested, he prays to God with his disciples present. And in verse 1, spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you now give me to do. Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. In his last recorded prayer with his disciples, we do know that he prayed a little bit. uh, There's a couple of captions later on while he's being crucified where he does talk to his father. But in his last long prayer in the presence of his disciples, Christ tells us that eternal life is is all about knowing God, the Father, and knowing God. Jesus Christ. The word know. Now we have, as a, as a ministry, we are going through some uh, education. I'm going through the prophets. Uh, we've joined a, a, a there's a, um, it's called the Sower of the Seed. It's a, it's a, it's a, a education provider of, of uh, scripture, of, of Bible and uh, Bible stuff. And we've committed to educating ourselves a little more. I'm going through, I chose a course this year that's going to take me through the Old Testament prophets. Pastor Adrian is going through Greek. So we're going to be hearing a little bit more about Greek. In fact, I noticed there's some pronunciation that I'm hearing that is different from what we're used to doing. Uh, Barnabas. Landon pointed out, he said, I thought it was Barnabas. I said, well, we're being educated on the exact pronunciation of Greek, so I'm looking forward to that. The word no is from Strong's 1097, and it's Gnosko, probably pronouncing that wrong, Gnosko. And it means to, it's not just to know, but it means to learn to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, and to become acquainted with. And all of those words talk about an ongoing nature of building and strengthening a relationship. It's much deeper than a simple acknowledgement that there is a God. It's an understanding that what we are trying to do is build a relationship with God. Eternal life is getting to know God. Eternal life is getting to know Jesus Christ. It's not just a simple acknowledgement that they exist, but it is getting to know them. Eternal life is all about getting to know God in a very deep and personal way. So much more than just a simple acknowledgement that he exists, but getting to know him in a deep and personal way. The natural question is how? How can we really know that God exists? And how can, how, how can he be real to you? How can we develop a personal relationship with him beyond a simple recognition and acknowledgement that he exists today what i would like to do is to take the next step in making god real to us by reviewing how he revealed himself to his people what we will see is that he made himself tangible through the many names that he has come to, to come to be known by why is god real to me let's go take a look Turn with you, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis chapter 1. Now, one of the benefits of having a resource like Strong's is the the English words can sort of be overused and not doesn't go into as deep an explanation as when we break down the Hebrew and especially the Greek. Now here we see the word God used. We see it used in other places, but it's not the same word. In this case here, let's read chapter 1. In the beginning, thank you, Landon. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then we know we can go through the rest of the account. But when we read that word God, it is the Hebrew word Elohim. And that Hebrew word Elohim means the all-powerful one, the creator. So if you were to tell me it's simply God, that's one way. But if you were to tell me and read this, that the all-powerful one said, let there be light, and there was light. That, tell, that talks to me in a more deeper way about who God is. He's not just God. He is the all-powerful one. Not a powerful one, but the all-powerful one. There is none greater. There is none stronger. So in the beginning, the all-powerful one created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the, of the deep. And the spirit of this all-powerful one was hovering over the face of the waters. Then this all-powerful one said, Let there be light, and there was light. That talks to me in a deeper way about who this God is. He is all-powerful. It is much more than simply a name. It is a description of who he is. He's not just a God, but he is the all-powerful one. Let's move forward to Exodus chapter 3. I recall Brother Jan going through the transition from Elohim to Yahweh a couple of years ago in one of his messages. Exodus chapter 3. We pick this up, the famous story of Moses and the burning bush. And here we see a different use, a different word used for God. Cutting into the context, down there, let's pick it up at verse 5. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the ground where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is, we know this is 
God introducing himself to Moses. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Who sent you? If you're going to come and take us out of Egypt under someone's authority, they're going to ask who? Who shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children that I am has sent you to me. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Tell them Yahweh sent you. Tell them the I am sent you. This word Yahweh, this I am, means the self-existent one. So we consider the entire gamut of creation, and we are trying to figure out whether we are just a product of a big bang, or we were created by a higher power. Our God is the self-existent one. He doesn't need anyone to bring him into existence. He exists of his own power. No one else can lay that, make that claim. He is the self-existent one. So who, God, Moses says, who shall I say sent you? Egypt is full of many gods. Egypt is nothing but gods. You tell them the self-existent one sent you. You tell them the one who exists of his own power sent you. Turn to John chapter 8. happens at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's from chapter 8 through chapter 10, following just on the heels of the woman caught in adultery, Christ goes into his long explanation of being the light of the world. We'll pick it up briefly in verse 54. Jesus answered and said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, and of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? You know God? You know this Yahweh? You're you're not even fifty years old. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was, I am. There is significant meaning to this. When we see the word as being the God of the Old Testament, the one to whom Moses spoke, the Yahweh, 
the self-existent one. From this, we get the, we get the Hebrew word Jehovah. Because, among many reasons, their fear of mispronouncing his name. They have come up with adding vowels, and it comes out to Jehovah. But this word, Yahweh, the self-existent one, describes God in such a way much more than just simply the word God. When we consider he is the self-existent one, that he needs no one else to empower him, that he exists in in his dimension, in his spirit dimension, Simply of his own power. Simply because he is. He was, he is, and always will be. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 15. What we're going to start seeing, now that we set the base with Elohim and Yahweh, is some further names that God has come to be known by. That really, and we'll get to how mankind has turned it into a controversy. We're going to touch on that later. But we really want to look at God revealing himself to his people as they get to know him. And it really starts in the Old Testament with people like the Israelites. Exodus chapter 15. Israel has crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptians have have, have succumbed to the walls of water crashing back in on them. They praise God through this hymn that Miriam sang, that Moses sang, I apologize, that Moses sang. Then we recall the story about how they turned and became ungrateful so quickly with waters that were bitter. Let's pick up the story, verse 22. Exodus 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals. He is not just God. He is the Lord who heals. He is the Lord who heals. How many of you have ever experienced being healed. His hands have gone up. We have several people that have experienced being healed. What was the impact on your relationship with God when you were healed? When you asked for healing, whether, it, whether you were anointed, you asked for healing, and God in his time healed you, whether it be quickly or whether it will be over, over some length of time. What was that impact on your relationship with God? He wasn't just God. He was the God who healed you. That's a profound impact when we're trying to determine why I believe in God. Some believe in God because they are living proof that he is the Lord who heals. Israel had just watched God pound away at the Egyptians through the plagues of sickness. They had boils. They, they died. 
they, they, I'm sure with the frogs and the gnats and all of the other things, there was disease that was, that was compounded in there. In introducing himself to them, he wanted them to know that he is the Lord who heals. Their gods brought sickness. The God heals. And not just a Lord, but he is the Lord who heals. The gods of the Egyptians, they bring death. They bring sickness. The Lord God of Israel, he heals. Genesis chapter 16. This is the account of Hagar and Ishmael. Verse 1, now Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed your maid is at your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So she's now the victim of Abraham and Sarah's impatience. She did nothing wrong. She was serving Sarah to the best of her abilities for Abraham and Sarah. And in their impatience, she, her life is now changed. She had permission to, from Sarah to conceive a child for Abraham. And then when it happened, jealousy turned, and now she was shunned from the family. She did nothing wrong. Now the angel of the Lord, verse 7, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where, ha- where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all the brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Now we know what has transpired since Ishmael, but specifically referring to Hagar, her faith in God was because when no one else looked out for her, when everyone else shunned her, God saw her. God did not take his eyes off her. So when she was all alone, when there was no one else fighting for her, when there was no one else on her side, she served a God who sees. He reached down and took care of her. Because God is not just a God. He is the Lord who sees. He is the Lord who keeps his eye on those 
who need help. Psalms 139. Psalms 139. This was one of the names, the Lord who sees, and characteristics, because that's what these names did. They helped God's people understand his character. That made God real to David. And we see that in this psalm that he wrote. Psalms 139. This God who sees, who is all seeing. Pick it up in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. We see here David's worship of a God that he knows can see everything, cannot, will not lose sight of him. He worships a God that is all-seeing, omniscient. This is one of the characteristics of God, that David made God real to David. That he just wasn't someone who he called God, but he could worship. He could write an entire psalm about the fact that he was the God who sees, who is all-seeing. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. We're looking at the very famous story of Abraham sacrificing, called to sacrifice his son Isaac. We'll sort of pick up the story in verse 6. We know that Abraham takes his son, who obediently goes with him. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. Then Isaac said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his son and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the, play, called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham's faith was so strong 
that even though he was told to take his only son, the son that was the son of promise, as we've come to study over the last couple of years, that he was faithful ahead of time. It wasn't just when he said that we will call this place the Lord will provide, but when his son asked, "Where's the? what are we doing? What are we sacrificing? Abraham was completely faithful. God will provide. God will provide a lamb. So to Abraham, this just wasn't the God he chose to serve amongst all the many gods that he could have chosen to serve. He chose the Lord that provides because his God was a provider. His God looked after people. We think of job loss, lack of funds. We've all been through at some point in our life, low funds, perhaps a job loss, wondering where, where's my next meal? How am I going to take care of my family? Maybe not all of us. I know many people that have gone through that. Not everyone experiences this, but again, I know many that have. This is a huge impact on their faith when these prayers are answered. When out of the blue, money appears, or out of the blue, a job that they didn't think they could get, they would receive, and their family was looked after. God reveals himself in these ways so that people understand this is a God that provides. This is the God we serve. He's not just a God in name only that we come and sing songs to and, and on a weekly basis and, and, and pray to. He answers prayers. He provides for us. That is the God we serve. Why do some people believe in God? Because they've been the recipient of the Lord who provides. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31. Now this doesn't mean riches in this life. This doesn't mean riches in this life. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. We serve a God that, that when we faithfully follow him, when we faithfully try to put on his righteousness, seek his ways, seek his kingdom, that when we do that, we are serving the Lord who provides. We serve a God that when we are following him, he lives up to one of his characteristics as being a provider. We don't need to worry about where our next meal will come from. It may not be exactly the exact style we want. We may not wear the clothes that we're hoping to wear. We may not have the car we're hoping to drive. But God will provide our needs when we follow him because he is the Lord who provides. We've been witness to that. If you haven't participated in it, chances are you've been a witness to it. So why do we believe in this God? Because he is a Lord who lives up to his name. He provides. John chapter 6. It's not just about the physical. It is not just about the physical. When we seek him, 
he provides the bread of life. Chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. All we need to do is try and search, and we will never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God's will is to provide the bread of life. God wants to make himself available. All we have to do, he who comes to me, that's all we need to do, is come to him, search for him and ask, and he will provide. Because he is the provider of spiritual food as much as he is the provider of of our physical needs. He provides our spiritual needs as well. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This God that Abraham has chosen to follow promises many things. Why can he do that? Because he is the almighty God. He is the almighty God. In Hebrew, that is El Shaddai. It's one of the names that is a little more well-known that you've probably heard of. There's a beautiful song called El Shaddai. It means the all-sufficient one, or God Almighty. We need nothing else but God to have sufficiency. If we have nothing else but God, we are okay. Because that God is not just God, but he is the all-sufficient God Almighty. That is the God that we serve. Follow me, he said to Abraham. All you have to do is follow me. And I will look after you. Because I am El Shaddai. I am the Almighty God, the all-sufficient one. Exodus 17. I promise we're not going through all the names that there is in Scripture for God. You would be shocked as to how many names there are of God in Scripture. Exodus 17. Following on the, not long after the story we read at the beginning, where 
God promises that he is the Lord who heals. He reveals himself as the Lord who heals. They come upon the Amalekites. Verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Come, choose us, some men, and go out, fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Joseph did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. He held up his hand. That's all he did. And Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. After protecting his new flock from the Amalekites, Moses became a firm believer in the protective power of God when we remain under his banner of protection. When we follow him and do as he says, all he had to do was hold up his hands. And Moses, God, offered victory to Israel over an enemy that they should have had no business defeating. So he's not just a God but he is the Lord who is my banner. He is the Lord who offers me protection. Deuteronomy 33. I know I have been protected at points in my life. I'm sure we can all look back at times in each of our lives where we were probably protected. There are times we don't even know we were protected because something happened and God guided us somewhere And something happened that we would never have known. But we know there, I'm sure, if you think back, there are actual tangible times where you were protected. I remember the story when we were still living in Montreal. Many of you probably know the story. We were down here visiting. We stopped in at the Kowalczyk's for a coffee before we headed home to Montreal. We got to Belleville, stopped for supper. It was about 5 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon in March. It was dusk-ish, but it was still very light out. We'd stopped for supper in Belleville. There were two exits in Belleville, about a kilometer apart. We stopped at the first one, got back on the highway. It was about 5 o'clock. Sunday traffic was busy, but not, not, uh, not traffic jam heavy. So we pulled, there was a truck here, so we pulled out. Uh, it was safe, and we pulled out beside this truck. And we, so we were in the fast lane passing this truck. And there's something odd about what he was doing. He started to drift a little bit. And then he just simply drifted right over and climbed the cement barrier and was along the top of the cement barrier. One axle of the truck went off into the ditch. The other axle flung across the highway this way. I could see in the mirror. I could see it happening. You know, let's be honest. We're not always paying attention when we drive. I was paying attention at this point in time. And I saw him drift. There was something just eerily eerily odd. When truck drivers sometimes fall asleep, they'll jerk the wheel a little bit. This guy didn't jerk the wheel at all. He probably, what he did is had his hand on the wheel, reached for something, and didn't and had it had it gripped rather than loose, and the truck simply went over, climbed up the cement thing. It was along the top of the cement uh, barrier. There's a line of diesel fuel 
that caught on fire like a Bruce Willis movie. You could see it, and we saw it take off and catch on fire. And we could feel the heat come through the car, the fire through the car. So all, all we could do, all I could do was honk my horn to let everybody know behind us something was going on and pump the brakes. We came to a stop. It was a five-hour traffic jam. There was not a scratch on the car. There was oil spray. No one hit anybody. It was, except this guy who did it to himself, the whole, tra- everybody somehow came to a stop and no one was hurt. I know I was protected that day. In fact, Caitlin told me, without any coercion from me, I asked her why she believes in God. And she quoted that story and said that she knows God exists because he protected her. We serve the Lord who is our banner. He is a protector. I may not have, I may not have experienced the God who sees me. I may not have experienced, I have experienced the Lord who heals. I have experienced the Lord who is my, my banner. Why do I believe in God? Because he is my protector. And I know that. Deuteronomy 33. Verse 26. We see here his, his offer of, and his admonition of physical protection for Israel. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. In his excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your judge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust the enemy from before you and will say destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone, in the land of grain and new wine. His heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. There's no one like you if you are saved by, the, by God, because he is the protector. The shield of your help, the sword of your majesty, your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. Verse 26 is, is what we already read. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. He is looking, and what, because he is the God who sees, he's looking to be your protector. He's out there protecting you with guardian angels, and when he sees something going on, he protects you. He may not always answer in your favor. Perhaps there's a reason he may allow you to be hurt. Perhaps he, there is a reason he may allow you to die. But he is always your protector. Whether you survive this life or whether you don't, he is always your protector. Ephesians chapter 6, again, much like the provider, the protector is not just about physical protection. It is about spiritual protection. And we see that here. We won't take time to read it in too much detail. It is the armor of God, which we're very familiar with. But we see here that it's not just about physical protection, that he is our banner. He is our banner of spiritual protection as well. Finally, my brethren, verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Have faith in his power. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You can't stand on your own, but when you do things God's way and you follow his ways, you can stand against the principalities when you're doing so under the banner of protection of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. God wants to be our protector, but as with anything with God, we need to do our part. We need to come to him, put on his armor. We can, you can, we can take time at a, at a future date to go through that. His righteousness, his gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, all these things that make up our armor that help us withstand God. When we do that, when we follow him, we can stand. And we, cannot, we do not need to be afraid. Psalms 23. We're coming down to the, near the end. Psalms 23. Here's a great description of God. There is so much in Psalms 23 that make him real to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He provides. He protects. He directs. He leads us. As it says here, beside still waters, he takes us to green pasture. He leads us to righteousness. He provides, he protects, he directs, he leads, and he cares for his people. This is not just a God. This is our shepherd. He is the Lord who is my shepherd. Because he takes care of, he leads us right, he directs us properly. He cares for us, he provides, and he protects. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1. The reason why I bring that, read that there is let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we'll see this explained further. We know how much of Isaiah prophesies the coming of Christ 
coming of the Messiah. Matthew chapter 1 shows that that prophecy was fulfilled. Verse 22 of Matthew 1, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Who was Christ? Was he just a prophet? He wasn't just a prophet. He was God with us. He was Emmanuel. Again, not just God, but God with us. He wasn't a physical being uh, in the respect that we are physical beings. He was God from heaven, and he was God with us. Let's look at Matthew 16, just forward a few pages. And as God reveals himself in these ways to his people who are searching for him, we can see an example here of faith that is solidified in the fact that he was, in this case, Peter understood him to be Emmanuel, God with us. And we can see Peter's faith here made evident. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter knew that he was in the presence of God himself, the Son of the living God. Who do, pe- who do people say that I am? Nah, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say John the Baptist. But who do you say? I'm witness to this. We heard talk earlier about the, in the, the Bible study. Peter, his faith was sure because he knew he was with Emmanuel, God with us. You are the son of the living God. I have no doubt. And we see here an example of Peter's faith being built. And we see from that how he lived his life based on that faith in the years that followed. We see in Acts, and we're going to see further in Acts as we, do, as we go through the Bible studies. And we see his writing in his epistles, how strong he was, how his faith was so solid, you couldn't knock him off of it. Because he was in the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. Can we see how the names that we have called God have developed from the experiences of his people as they get to know him? He starts out as God. He starts out as this idea that there's a higher power. But he doesn't stay that way. He reveals his character to us, and then we see how how our faith in God is developed by understanding who he is. My God is not just God. He is the all-powerful creator. He is the self-existent one. He is the one who heals. He is the one who can see me at all times. He is the one who will provide for me. He is the all-sufficient, almighty one. He is the one who is my banner of protection. And he is my savior and my God. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. The list that we've gone through is not even close to being 
what we could go through and talking about the various names of God and the various names of Christ. But check out this list. You want to develop a greater faith in who God and his son is and, and, and do that by understanding their, their character? Verse 6 of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There are five more names of God, of the Word, that describe him. He is a wonderful God. He is a counselor. He is a prince of peace. He is a father. And he is a mighty, mighty God. That is the God that we serve. That is the God we need to continue to get to know and prove and have him continue to reveal his character to us so that our faith is cemented Other points to consider. Don't get caught up in the sacred names controversy. The names that I have given you have been turned, in some respects, to where some say you must call them by their Hebrew names. The names that we went through, which I didn't give you, Elohim, which we did talk about, Yahweh, the Lord who heals is Jehovah Rapha. The God who sees me is El Roy. The Lord who will provide is Jehovah Jireh. We talked about El Shaddai. The Lord is my banner is Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my shepherd is Jehovah Rohi. And God with us is Emmanuel. Each of the above names have a Hebrew or Greek name, which we just reviewed. Some feel that we must use these, use these Hebrew or Greek names when we're referring to God or Christ. Let's not get caught up in that controversy. The, the Old Testament patriarchs, the kings and the prophets, they communicated in Hebrew. The New Testament disciples, they communicated in Aramaic. The New Testament writings and other communication would have been in Greek. In, in a recent message, Pastor Adrian said that if they were Chinese, God would have done everything in Chinese. If, you, if it helps you to honor and glorify God by calling him Jehovah Nissi, that's your business, and you can call him whatever you want to glorify him. But know and understand that he is the Lord who is your banner. That's what you need to know. You need to know that he is your protector. He is your healer. Call him whatever you want, to whatever works for you, to help you understand that he is the God who heals. You can call him Jehovah Rapha if you want. You can call him whatever it is in French. I, don't, uh, I can't think that quickly on my head. But know that he is the God who heals. Know that he is the God who protects. Know that he is the God who provides. Know that he is the God who sees. These names, and there are countless more, countless more, help us understand God in a deeper, deeper way. Help us to get to know him, which is what that Greek word for know really means. And these names help us to understand God in whatever language you speak. English, French, Hebrew, Greek, and even Polish. That's the point. That to anyone who seeks him, he is a protector. He is almighty God. He is a creator. He is a healer. He is a banner and a provider. Being a safe place to worship, 
we accept how one another honors and glorifies God, as long as it's within the confines of God's law. God's law provides, is, it has boundaries, but there's freedom within those boundaries, as long as we remain in those boundaries, as long as it's decently and in order. The name of Christ, his anointed son, we hear from time to time, Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the anointed one. That reveals to God that he is not just, he wasn't just a prophet, but Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one, is the one that God specifically selected and sent to earth to die for our sins. That's the God that we serve. That is our Savior. So when we understand the real meanings of these words, whether we use the Hebrew or Greek words or whether we use them in English, we understand who this God is so that he becomes real to us, so that we know him the way that he wants us to know him. There are so many more names that are applied to God and or his Son. The Lord who sanctifies. The Alpha and the Omega. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord of hosts. The eternal God and the God Most High. And that's just a few of the many even more that we don't even have time to go into. Take some time to study his names and see what impacts you. Not all of these impacted me. But the Lord who is a protector, I can relate to. I can relate to the Lord who's a provider. I can relate to the Lord who heals because I've experienced that. I look forward to experiencing many, many more coming to understand and and believe in this God in a deeper way. Not everyone experiences everything. Let's go to Revelation 2. Revelation chapter 2. Names are very important to God. Names are very important to God. The conclusion of his letter to Pergamos, the angel to the churches writes in verse 17 of Revelation 2, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Names are very very important to God. God will be giving us a new name in his kingdom, and it will be unique to you. God's names are also unique. They are many, and they describe the many aspects of his character. How real is God to you? As you continue, and I speak specifically to our young people and those new in the faith, as you continue to build your faith in God, Get to know him by how he reveals himself to you. But as Pastor Adrian mentioned last week, we must do the searching. We must seek him out. And the minute we seek him out, he is right there to reveal himself. Scripture is clear. Let's close with this account from Acts. Acts 17. Acts 17. Paul is in Athens. Verse 22 of Acts 17. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, 
Areopagus, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world, our creator, and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of hosts, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He is the self-existent one. Right? Since he gives to all life, as the creator, breath and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined, as Almighty God, their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of, to all, of this to all by raising him from the dead. We are blessed to serve and worship a very known God. Not the unknown God, but a very known God. Who does not hide himself from us at all. In fact, with just a little effort on our part in searching him out to get to know him, not a cursory awareness of his existence, not just there's a higher power, so we'll call him God, but a deep relationship level understanding of him. He is an amazing God. He is all-powerful. He is our creator. He is self-existent. He is a healer. He is all-seeing. He is a provider. He is all-sufficient. He is almighty. He is protector, and he is savior. What's in a name? In this case, everything. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.